We're turning tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read there the verse 15 verses of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. And if you have your Bible there, you open it up at the place appointed for the reading and follow the words. And as we've said many times, and we say it not just for the sake of some that say, but it's important that we'll not only hear the words, but we'll see them. And oftentimes we retain as much as we see is what we hear, maybe even more so. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The words will come up on the screen for all who are online, but we do encourage them to read from their own personal copy of the Bible. And if you haven't got a copy of the Bible and would like one, if you're listening online, then we would certainly be happy to hear from you, and we will certainly be happy to purchase you a Bible and supply you with it. Let's hear the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that have wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory in our behalf, that we may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Amen. Who the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. It reads as follows, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And my theme tonight is entitled, how are you walking as a Christian? Now I want you to notice that this is a short verse. It's only eight words. In the English. And you see, these words came to my mind the other day. I was 
having a shower. I was drying off. I was getting dressed. And I was actually thinking in my mind, what am I going to preach on in the first Lord's Day back in 2021? And these words caught my eye. You see, these words are upon a text that's found outside our bathroom shower. In fact, they sit at the very feet of a tall giraffe. And it has the word faith on it. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And it was presented to us as a gift by a family within the congregation quite a number of years ago. And they know who they are. And um, as I thought of these words, it's as if the the, the words were jumping out at me and saying, uh, remember me. Um, Think upon me. Preach me. And um, hence, I I did share with one of our uh, dear folks who are shielding, uh, when asked what I was preaching on on Sunday night, I said I was going to preach on the subject, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And hence the title, uh, How Are You Walking as a Christian? Here's a very important um, statement, a very important text of Scripture, and I commend it to you this evening. Now, three things. I want you to think, first of all, of the importance of these words. Notice the context. If you look very carefully at your authorized version, for we walk by faith, not by sight, you will notice that the words are in brackets. And verse 7 is sandwiched between verse 6 and verse 8. And this is known in theological terms as a a parenthetical, that's a big word, don't ask me to spell that, I hope I've pronounced it right, a parenthetical statement. You see, the Apostle Paul has been stating his case, he's presenting his argument, he's been writing about matters to do with life and death, life in the here and now, he's thinking about life in the world to come. Paul and his ministerial brethren, they stand in total contrast to all the false teachers and the false apostles attempting to win people within the city of Corinth. You see, at Corinth, there was also false doctrine, uh, false gospel being preached, false promises to be made. And, and Paul wants to underscore the fact that as a true apostle, he is willing to die. He's willing to lay down his life for Jesus Christ and the gospel. Why? Because he's assured of the hope of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in the process of presenting that argument, And it's important that you understand that. He throws in this little thought as a little concept right into the middle of the statement. See, this is not only a a parenthetical statement. This is a profound statement. Just because it's set forth in a parenthetical way, it is no less important. I believe, you see, this is a well-known truth. It was well known in Corinth. And it ought to be well known, not only in the first century, but the 21st century. How are you walking as a Christian? For we walk by faith and not by sight. I want to tell you tonight, there's no throwaway texts in the Bible. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. Did the Lord Jesus not say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? 
Now, now think of it tonight. We have God's word in front of us. We have God's word in our hand. I have just presented to you eight words that are God-breathed, that are verbally and plenary inspired. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And not only have we a God-breathed book tonight that we have just read from, but this is a God-breathed text. And I want you to see it in that light. Here's God's words. And that makes it profound. Suppose I was out digging in the garden, and I'm not a keen gardener, by the way. Or suppose I was out with a metal detector in some field, uh, maybe in James Lowe's field or one of Wilfie's fields or somewhere else. And I found a canister. And that canister contained words from the late Queen Victoria. People would be saying, well, how did Queen Victoria's words ever get over to Northern Ireland? Or suppose we'll bring in another historical figure. Suppose they're from uh, uh, King William of Orange. And somebody was saying, well, he stopped at Carrick and he was in Lambeg. But, but how did this canister ever get to uh, uh, Carry Duff? And of course, if, if it did contain words from Queen Victoria or uh, William Prince of Orange, the newspapers would be on it right away. The museum people would be after it, the Ulster Museum or maybe someone else, and, and, and I could get a fortune out of it. Yeah, that would be, be wonderful. And you, you would be thinking about that. But this is something more profound than what Queen Victoria had to say or even William Prince of Orange had to say. You see, here's the words of the living and the true God. And this is far better and far greater than what any individual king or queen has to say. And you see, what's wrong with Northern Ireland tonight is this, that there's a famine of hearing the word of God. We have lost sight of God's word. We have no longer got a high view of the Bible. And we have lost sight that the word of God is a powerful word and a perfect word and a personal word and a practical word and a pure word, but it's also a profound word. Why? Because it's a word from God. And you see, that makes it basic. That makes it fundamental. You see, this whole parenthetical statement that's so profound, this is fundamental to the whole of the Christian life. And, and in the midst of the argument of whether he lived or died, he died unto God and had the hope of eternal life. Paul just chucks it in there. And he's saying to the people in Corinth, take hold of that. Grasp that. Remember that tonight. That's the context. The importance of these words contextually. But notice the importance of the words because there's a connection here. You see, the subject matter goes all the way back to chapter 4. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 1. What does he say there? Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, the Apostle Paul is telling the whole of the Christian church why he hasn't fainted, why he hasn't given up hope, why he hasn't quit why he hasn't lost heart to carry on. And he's telling us why. Because he says, we have been given a wonderful ministry of mercy. 
And he tells us what he's not. Look at verse 2. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He went on to tell them in verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Notice what he says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He's comparing himself to a clay pot which contains, he says, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He rejoices that God uses frail, weak, sinful men of shortcoming. Men, Men who are just like a clay pot. And when a clay pot's broken and shattered by opposition and persecution, then what is manifest then in the shattering of that and the breaking of that? It's broadcast the glory of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Paul says this comes as no surprise to us because we're living out the dying and the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus. See, Paul sees every trial and tribulation as something there for its light, something that's temporary, something that's transitory compared to eternal realities. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 18. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And you see, he carries over the same theme into chapter 5, the theme of, of dying unto Christ, the theme of being made alive. He, 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 he knows that his earthly body's but a, a, a transitory thing, a, a temporary thing. And one day he'll be given a a glorious new body like the Lord Jesus. And then he's telling us, well, in light of this hope, we have courage to live now. We have courage to, to boldly proclaim the gospel. We don't dread death. We don't dread the shortening of this life. We don't dread losing our life in his service for the sake of Christ. He looks upon this as a glorious hope that he has. And then he adds in verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Having told us, therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Why? For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, they say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Do you see the connection here? I, I trust that you do. Here's why he hasn't given up. Here's why he hasn't lost heart. Here's why he hasn't thrown in the towel. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. That's the importance of these words. Notice secondly, very quickly, the instruction from these words. What does it mean when Paul says, for we walk by faith and not by sight? Now, I want you to understand something that the word walk is a synonym for the way that he lived. So let's think of the people here. For we walk. Underline the word we. Who's that a reference to? Well, it's a reference to the Apostle Paul. Includes himself. He's the one that's doing the writing. As a reference to all the other holy apostles. It's also wide enough to include the readers of this letter. Every born-again believer was in Corinth. Those that were saved by faith. But not only those in Corinth, but those in the other churches in the first century. 
And then when we widen it out, we take in the word we to, to mean every believer. It's a reference to every believer in Christ, every individual who's living out the Christian life. A, a true believer, remember, is one who believes in and trusts in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven We're given among men whereby we must be saved. And he's joined into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. Why? Because it's written in Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I want you to think of a child of God, a true believer, and he's living out his life before the Lord. And how does he do it? He lives by faith. Every step he takes, every choice that he makes, every decision is rooted and guided by this overriding principle. He lives by faith. The outer man is perishing. It's wasting away. But he keeps on living by faith as a child of God. He faces false teachers and false apostles and false doctrine. But he keeps on living as a child of God through faith. He's regarded as nothing in the eyes of men. People say you're a fool. You're stupid to be a Christian. It's not worth it. But he keeps on living as a child of God through faith. He understands men's evaluation of him. He's grieved in his soul. He's cut. He's thinking, Lord, they don't know who I am. They don't know I'm a child of the king. He faces trials and troubles, bodily affliction. He faces sickness. He might even face death. He, he might even begin to, to contemplate God's eternity and meeting God in the judgment. But he lives on as a true believer and, and he lives a life of faith unto God. You see, he's unlike the non-believer. He's unlike the person who's not saved. Because how does the person who's not saved live? Here's the answer. By sight. That person could be clever. He can be highly skilled. He could be greatly accomplished. He can have a great job, a great station in life. But how does he live? How does he walk? If we use that word walk, he walks by human sight. He, 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 he walks by human reasoning. He's not the least bit concerned and affected that there's a God in heaven with whom he has to do. He doesn't care about the Bible or the words of Holy Scripture inspired by the Spirit of God. He doesn't care about heaven. He's not terrified about hell. To him it's a myth. Salvation. You need to be saved. He'll laugh at you. Talk about sin. He'll tell you to clear off. Talk about his soul. Oh, he, he, he'll, he'll double laughter. Why? Because he's only focused on the material. He's only focused on what's visible. He's only focused on the temporary things of life. His life is focused on the things of time and sense. He lives in a material world. But the true believer is different. He lives a life of faith in God. He lives a life of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He lives his life by faith according to the word of God. Yes, he lives in a real world. Yes, his eyes are literally opened so he can see where he's going and where he's walking. He too lives in a material world. He has to buy and sell. He has to eat. He has to clothe himself. He has to work to feed his family. He'll travel. He'll use money. He'll make plans for the future. He'll fix up his house. He'll buy a house. He'll sell. 
But he does it all, still within the context of taking into account spiritual things, spiritual realities. Now, that's important because there's a big difference. And I want to ask this question tonight. Does this apply to you? Are you one of these people who live by faith or live by human sight and human reasoning? Are you a true child of God who through faith has received Christ and Lord and Savior? And you can say tonight, well, well, I believe in God as my heavenly father. And I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I believe tonight that I've experienced the great gift and wonder of God's salvation. And I rejoice tonight that it's written in the book, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not none of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I have a personal testimony tonight that I've experienced salvation through faith in Christ. Are you a true believer? Or are you a non-believer? And your worldview will indicate which you are. Notice not only the people here, but, but think of the principle. For we walk by faith. Now, in the watch night service on Thursday night, if you've already listened to it, if you haven't, we encourage you to do so. I think well over 200 uh, have, and many more, at least computers and tablets and telephones clicked on. But think of the word faith. I, I give a little acrostic. F A. I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. And I said on that occasion, and I repeat tonight deliberately, that that's not something that's natural to us. You see, true saving faith, the ability to lay hold in Christ freely offered in the gospel, receiving him as Lord and Savior, is the gift of God. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit implanted in the soul in the new birth. It's not natural to us. That's why Paul says, for by grace he is saved through faith. And that, the word that's the demonstrative, that not of yourselves. It's what? It's the gift of God. And, and the true believer, because he's gripped by this gift of faith in his heart and mind that inclines him to Christ and to believe in God, this true believer will never tamper with or never twist the word of God. You see, he's been gifted with the spirit of faith. And, and the spirit of faith will prompt him to believe in and trust in and adhere to and rely on what the Lord says. And the message will be, I believe what the word says. Not what the world says. There's a vast difference. And he will stand on the truth, thus and thus saith the Lord. That individual will enjoy a life of salvation saved by faith. By faith, he's alive to the glory of God and a saving relationship of Christ. He'll enjoy a life of service as he serves the Lord by faith. He's not only saved by faith, but he continues in faith. He um, knows that this is not a decision of a moment, a principle of the whole of the life. He enjoys a life of surety. He rests in the word of God. He believes what the word says. As I've said, not what the world says. He, he, he enjoys a life of singing God's praise in his heart, even if he could never sing a note. He, he, he enjoys a life of spiritual reality. Heaven's real to him. Heaven's his final home. He, he knows that one day when he dies, he'll go to be with Christ, which is far better. 
You see, unregenerate men, ungodly men, they live by what the world sees, not by what the world says. They live under the philosophy of man. They, they leave the Lord out. They, they have no assurance that the Lord has promised. And, and the Lord means what he says and says what he means. They're not fully convinced. But the child of God is. And that's the principle here. It's always by faith. The whole of the life is by faith. Notice the purpose here. I've asked myself this little question. Why did Paul chuck this into the middle of this argument? See, Paul's a realist. Let me apply it this way. You know that life is hard and difficult. You know that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. And trials and troubles come. Life's not easy. But I want to tell you, the Christian life is not easy. Think of the little hymn. It's not an easy road we're traveling to heaven. The way can be hard. And it's easy to faint. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to give up. And you see, remember, we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. And we can be tempted to quit. And of course, the godless man comes along and says, Listen to the scientist. Listen to Professor so-and-so in the university. Listen to this eminent preacher. Listen to this apostate churchman with his pious words, nice-sounding platitudes. You see, unbelief is real. And unbelief is rooted in many godless sayings. And unbelief is rooted in many godless sights. And when human light and human reasoning is applied, there's a battle going on in the soul and in the heart and mind, a battle against faith and unbelief. And unbelief remembers a sin. And we ask the question, well, can I believe in the living and the true God, that he is alive, that he is real, that he is there? Can I believe in his word? Could I make a choice and a decision in the light of this word? Here's Paul. And in the middle of earthly things, when the rubber hits the road and the realities of life rise up, in the midst of suffering and pain, in the midst of temporal things, he thinks of a world where he faces sickness and death and suffering and pain and murder and lying and cheating and idolatry and unfaithfulness and atheism and unbelief. He knows they belong to this world. But in the midst of this world, we can lay hold of the word of God. That's his purpose. He's doing it really to encourage God's people. He knows that the body of God's people is going to be affected in the process of time. He knows they're going to face opposition and persecution. He knows that the death is coming and imprisonment for man. And, and he knows that that's not the end of their lives. And he wants to encourage them. So he, he deliberately puts in this uh, parenthetical statement that's profound. For we walk by faith. Not by sight. I want you to think not only of a people here and a principle here and a purpose here, but I want you to think of a prospect. You see, how can you believe in things that you can't see? Can you see God tonight? Can you see Jesus Christ? Can you see the Holy Spirit? Can you see the angels? Can you see heaven tonight? The answer is you can't. Well, how could you believe? 
How could you keep going? Focused on spiritual realities when you can't actually see them. And here's the answer. By faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Over there in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, and in the verse 3, the apostle Paul talked about the measure of faith. This is what he says. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to every man soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And you see, the measure of faith was deposited by the Holy Spirit in the new birth. And that faith that's a gift can be increased through the acceptance and being convinced that God is real and that God's word is true. How did Moses endure all that he had to face? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 verse 27, he endured seeing him who is invisible. How could you see somebody who's invisible? By faith. Here we are, we're, we're in the threshold of a new year. New opportunities, a, a, a fresh start. Uh, and you could face this new year and you could have a heart full of fear. Or you can have a faith-filled heart. Because you stand and you say, I believe God. And every challenge that I face. Every change that comes into my life, every choice that I make, I, I'm going to say, I believe God. And I therefore trust him. And I'm going to tell him all about my circumstances. I'm going to turn to him. And I'm going to wait upon him. And I'm going to worship him. See, that's how you can believe in things that you can't see. Because eternal realities are real through faith. And there's a pattern here. He says, for we walk by faith. Now think of this. In his walking, he exercises faith. And he's content to trust the Lord. Therefore, he can testify. I'm a child of God. I believe in Jesus Christ as God's only begotten Son, my Lord and Savior. I, I'm experiencing and enjoying God's great salvation. I, I can live a life of service unto God. I, I can aspire to live a holy, uh, uh, sanctified life. I, I can believe tonight in a God who gives ear to my prayers. Here's the outworking of this. There's a pattern here, for we walk by faith. Every believer's following the same pattern. They're making the same testimony, the same declaration. That's the instruction. Do you see the people? Have you got hold of the principle? Do you see Paul's purpose? Giving encouragement so that the people wouldn't lose heart? Getting them to focus on this prospect? There are things that you can't see, but you can see them by faith. You can endure just as Moses did. That's the challenge. You've got the measure of faith. It's been deposited. And here's the pattern for everyone. We can all testify that we're walking in the same way, on the same road. We walk by faith to heaven and home, to eternal realities. I want you to think of the implications here as we close. You see, Paul recognized there was a danger. Notice the words, not by sight. 
See, here was the danger. If we only live by sight, there's a vast difference between human light and living by spiritual sight. And are we not all tempted to only view things as we see them? And therefore, as we see things, we we base those things in our human reasoning. Let, Let me apply this tonight. When I think about our empty pews, and we don't see a huge mega crowd in the house of God, we tend to think, because we're living by sight, human reasoning, things are not good there. Suppose a visiting family come in tonight, never been in the house of God before, and seen so many empty pews on a Sabbath evening, they would go out thinking to themselves, this is human reasoning now, I am praying that, things are not good in that church. Or, or somebody drives into the car park and instead of seeing a hundred cars, only sees ten cars and then thinks to themselves, well, things don't look too good there. Things are not healthy there. And you see, their assessment would be wrong, wouldn't it? Because they would be viewing things by sight, viewing things by human reasoning, and yet the scriptures tells us, despise not the day of small things. The scripture tells us where two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst. And because we judge things by sight and human reasoning, we're tempted to despair, tempted to be downcast, tempted to be depressed. But the problem is with our sight. The problem is with human reasoning. And we need to bring the Lord into the picture. We need to allow heaven's realities to become real. We need to see something of God's plan and God's purpose. We need to believe that God is sovereign. Because I believe he is sovereign over time, events, people, and history, over nations. And God is at work, even working in this church. Providentially, despite all the challenges of last year, despite what's in front of us this year, God is at work. And we need to lay hold on the gift of faith, that measure of faith. Because Paul wanted them to understand there was a true ministry going on in Corinth, despite the false teachers and the false apostles. And that ministry was being carried on towards maturity. And people were encouraged to grow and increase in their faith. And people were encouraged to exercise a true spirituality. You see, Paul knew this, that faith is essential for everyday situations and circumstances. Is faith not essential tonight for the work of God? Is faith not essential for the house of God? Is faith not essential for the day of God? Is faith not essential for the Christ of God and the child of God? It is. Oftentimes we worry and we fret and we're overcome by fear. And we need to meet every crisis like that and every challenge, not by flying into a panic, but through faith in God. And in the blackest of times and in the darkest of days, whatever we face, we need to recognize there's a danger if we're only living by sight and not by faith. So whether you face bereavement, sickness, financial worries, incidents that affect your family or accidents at home, the farm, the factory, the office, the school, the university. Don't put any confidence in self. Make sure your confidence is in the Lord. Make sure you continue with the Lord this walk of faith. 
Recognize the danger. That's the implication here. I want you to notice this as we finish. Rejoice in the duty. Notice what it says. For we walk by faith. Now, of course, when we think about the word walk, we, we, we think of a, a physical walk. From the day of our birth to the day of our death, we walk physically through time, journeying towards the grave and the great eternity. And I want to tell you this. Every step that we take and every breath that we breathe, we do so by the grace and mercy of God. We do so in absolute, total dependence on him. And the ungodly never think of this. The unregenerate never think of this. That the very breath that they breathe is a gift from God. But he means more than walking by faith physically. He, he is thinking of walking by faith spiritually. You see, every walk has a start point, doesn't it? And every walk has an end point. I don't know if you've ever walked the four-miler. You could start in the Killingear Road and walk right round down past the church again and go back to where you started. People tell us that walking's beneficial. Walking's a blessing. Well, I wouldn't really know. I've only walked up to this church ever once and it felt like phoning for the ambulance afterwards. Uh, that's how out of shape I would be when it comes. Some girls decided to walk to Cave Hill today. Not running, not jogging, but to go for a walk. And, and a walk is good for you. Good for you physically. But we're not talking about a real physical walk here. We're, we're talking about a spiritual walk. Here's Paul. And he walked over Europe physically. But his walk, because he walked everywhere, Shanks is mayor, his was the walk of faith. And he walked with God. He walked with the presence of the Lord. He walked with the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And God mightily used him. And God mightily blessed him. Does it not say in the scriptures, and Enoch walked with God. He wasn't a superman. He wasn't a super holy uh, believer, he was an ordinary man of flesh and blood, just like you are, with all his imperfections, all his sins, and with all his shortcomings. And he walked the walk of faith beside the Lord. In fact, the Lord was with Enoch. It's as if the Lord had come to where Enoch lived in the day that Methuselah was born and, and invited Enoch to come for a walk. And they walked together, and there's such a harmony and such agreement that the Lord just walked with Enoch till he brought Enoch home to heaven. That's the duty. For we walk by faith. Will you see that as a duty and delight tonight? Recognize there's a danger. Don't walk by sight. But rejoice in this duty, this privilege that you have, this delight. The walk of faith with your hand in the hand of the Lord. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you.